This is a Saddleback Church podcast. Now, today, as we do the message, we're going to go to a video. Pastor Rick and I had the privilege of sitting down a couple weeks ago uh, to go through his whole book. We put it into shorter uh, slices. So we have a short slice about this phase, and then I'll be up with the rest of the message. Let's watch this together. So God, God places a dream inside of our hearts, and then once that dream's there, then it moves to action, and there's a decision. Yeah, that's phase two. Phase one is get the dream. Phase two is you have to make the decision to go after the dream. But a dream is not enough, as important as it is. Lots of people have dreams and never do anything about it. They die with unfulfilled dreams because they never got to phase two, which is make the decision to go for it. Now, the decision-making phrase is particularly scary uh, because people go, well, what if I make the wrong decision? Mm -hmm. And so to get through this next phase, Andy, the decision phase, you have to get rid of the fear of failure. Mm -hmm. How do you get rid of the fear of failure? It's real simple. You redefine failure, okay? You redefine failure. Failure is not failing to reach your goal. Failure is not setting a goal. Well, the Bible says love never fails, okay? The Bible says love never fails. So if what I'm doing is in love, Mm -hmm. I'm already a success whether I reach the goal or not. There are a lot of things in life, Andy, we don't have any control over. I call them the sovereignty factors. Um, I didn't choose who my parents were. I didn't choose my race. I didn't choose the year I would be born, the generation I would be born into. I didn't choose to be an American. I didn't choose the, the giftedness that God gave me and the gifts that I don't have. I didn't choose the personality that I don't have or do have. Those are all sovereignty. But there is one thing that I have complete control over, and you have complete control over it, and everybody who's watching right now has complete control over it, and it is this. How much I choose to believe God. Mm -hmm. That's my choice. And that's this decision phase where I go, God, I'm gonna roll the dice. I'm gonna go for it. I can't tell you how many times in that decision-making phase, I've painted myself into a corner and then said, God, if you don't bail me out, I'm really gonna look dumb (laughs) here, okay? Uh, But it's that God does not respond to our complaints. He's not interested in our complaining and griping and grumbling, but he acts according to our faith. Yeah. And decision, a faith always requires a decision. So good. Uh, That sense of putting yourself in position for God to come through. Yeah. Over and over again throughout scripture, over and over again throughout church history. Yep. Yep. That God has been so faithful to show up. Talk about, share some of those moments. share a lot of those, you know, in the church you pastored before Saddleback. All those times that you just go, we're going to roll the dice on this and we're going to go for it. Yeah. And and it's make the decision. But here's an important thing, and I'm going to tell this to everybody. Never confuse the decision-making phase with the problem-solving phase. Mm -hmm. Never confuse... Uh, if you wait to solve all the problems before you make a decision, you'll never make a decision. In 1964, at Rice University in Houston, Texas, John F. Kennedy stood up in front of a group of people and said, we're going to go to the moon by the end of the decade. 
at that point, it was physically impossible. We didn't know the physics, the science. We didn't have the technology. We had none of the things to actually do it. He just said, we're going to make the decision, and then we're going to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. And so I'm telling everybody at Saddleback, when Andy says, this is where we're going, this is where we're going, and we go, how's it going to happen? You don't have to know how. Yeah. You don't have to know how. You just have to make the decision in faith. Well, I part of the, looking back, you know, when I think about my own journey, there's there's almost a humor for me in those moments of like, okay, well, God told me to do something. Yeah. I'm going to share it with others yeah. before anybody else yeah. believes. Yeah. And then there's that gap between when he gives you the vision and when it becomes a reality. Right. And I, I think there's great delight in the heart of God yeah. in those moments because yeah. it's like, oh, he's got to show up. And when he shows up, he gets glory, he gets credit, right? He proves his faithfulness. Exactly. Uh, what what story sticks out in your mind of a moment where God, he just he came through yeah. for you for yeah. Saddleback? Time and time again in my own life, I, I had to learn the hard way that when God gives a dream, it comes in three parts. It, the first, he tells you what he's going to do. Okay, what he's going to do. And typically, once we figure out, oh, this is what God wants to do in my life, or this is what God wants to do in our church, we run off and we try to accomplish it any old way we think we can do it. And we fall flat on our face, and we fail, and we come back to God and we go, uh, God, did I miss the vision? Did I miss the dream? He goes, no, you just didn't wait for part two. Part two is how, mm -hmm. how he's going to fulfill the dream. And God's way of fulfilling the dream that he gives you will always be different than what you expect, always. Usually it's the exact 100 opposite way of what you think, oh, here's the dream, here's how it's gonna happen. And he goes, no, not gonna be that way. And so you have to wait for part two, which is the how. What is the dream? How is God gonna do it? And then there's a third part that I had to learn even a little bit later on in ministry, and that is the when. That God's timing is perfect. And God can do more in 10 minutes than I can do in 10 years of planning. So when you say uh, what, I, I could give you a thousand examples uh, of, of we get a dream, we start heading it in the wrong direction, and then God, no, that's not going to be it. And you're tempted to give up. You made the decision. But now you said, wait for the other two parts, when and how. Mm -hmm. and, and on that and when you do, like you said, you actually start laughing when you get to the, oh, that's how you're going to do it. Yeah. I never, never imagined that way. And again, that way God gets the glory. Yeah. Well, there, there are parts of our story, even like when we talked about, you know, the starting a leadership college yeah. that we would develop leaders that we exactly. mobilize into the global church. And exactly. they're like, well, how, several people, how, how are we ever going to build a college? And I said, I don't know, but I just... I have a sense there's going to be a moment in our future yeah. where like where we're seated right now yeah. here at this property yeah. at Rancho Capistrano, yeah. there's going to be a moment. I, I think maybe somebody's going to get Saddleback at college at yeah. some point. Might be. There's, there's something. Could be. So the, the joy of living in the mystery, right? but there's also the delay, and we're going to get into that. Yeah, next. exactly. Well, and and the whole idea of, waiting for God to fulfill the dream. If God gives you the dream, he's faithful to fulfill the dream, okay? 
uh, you just have to be faithful to him yeah. during that time. So good. Well, we'll talk about delays next. All right. One of the, one of the components that Pastor Rick talked about that I, I find to be very helpful is that every dream that God gives starts as a what? So it begins something he deposits in your heart. He gives you a vision, but then there's the how. So it starts with a dream, but that dream moves to action at some point. And for our journey, the messages that I'll be bringing, we're looking at the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. I love the story of Nehemiah because Nehemiah is someone who solves a problem that has existed for decades in 52 days. And today we're gonna look at that moment where Nehemiah steps forward with the vision that God's given to him. And it reminds me, there's so many moments in history where God gave somebody a dream or vision and they moved forward and it required great sacrifice. I love the story of Harriet Tubman. Some of you will remember in the mid-1800s, God had given her a dream, a vision, to solve the problem of slavery in a very unique way. So she had grown up as a slave, she'd been freed, and she moved from the south part of the United States to the northern United States in Pennsylvania. And while she was there as a housekeeper, God started giving her these actual dreams about liberating people who were slaves in the south. So she started going back to the south, and she would actually often travel over 500 miles with people in the middle of the night, in the cold, in the hot summer when it was raining at great personal cost. Many times she'd have to hide because she knew that she could lose her life, the others could lose their lives. And over the course of her life, there were literally, many people believe, hundreds of people that were liberated from slavery based upon her response to God's dream. It all started with a dream that God had given to her, but there was an action, there was an obedience, there was a response that was required of her. And that's true for us too. When God gives us a dream, there's a moment where we move forward on the dream. So last week, we looked at Nehemiah chapter one. I wanna review this one verse, one, chapter one, verse four. Nehemiah hears about the problem in Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem has been lying in ruins for 70 years. The walls around the city have been destroyed. Uh, the Israelites have been taken from Jerusalem to Babylon in captivity as a result of their disobedience. And while they're there, God is preparing the people of God to come back to Israel. And there's a moment where several of Nehemiah's buddies go to Jerusalem. They find out about the walls. They come back. And in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, Nehemiah hears about it. He hears about the walls. And it says that I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed to the God of heaven. And in this process, God is giving Nehemiah a vision to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. And he's taking, God is taking a problem that's on his radar and putting it in Nehemiah's heart. So last week I threw out the question and I wanna encourage you to keep praying on this question. What problem on God's radar needs to be in my heart? There's so many problems in our world that, that need to be in a person's heart. Every time God wants to solve a problem, a what, God chooses a who. He'll give a who a vision for a problem that exists. He'll take something that's on his radar and put it into our hearts. And it's not until a problem touches my heart that it actually begins to impact my hands. So what we're gonna talk about today is that process of a dream or a vision impacting our heart and then moving towards our hands. Literally changing the way that we live, leading towards action, leading us towards a place that we take a step forward. In Nehemiah 2.17, there's a moment where Nehemiah is in Jerusalem, so he's traveled there for the first time, and I want you to see this. 
you know very well what trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. And then he rallies the troops. He says, let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. And this is the moment that they go into action. Now, a little bit of a spoiler alert. In 52 days, the wall is rebuilt. In Nehemiah chapter six, verse 15, it says, so on October 2nd, the wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun. So today we're gonna ask the question, how was it that Nehemiah went from a dream that God had given to him and in 52 days saw it come to completion? So we're gonna talk about three steps from Nehemiah's life, from the scriptures, to go from dream to decision. Three specific things that we can do in response to the Spirit of God as God gives us his dreams in our hearts. And I wanna begin in verse one, so most of our time we're gonna be in chapter two today of Nehemiah. It says, early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, not the car, the month, by the way, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. So Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. So he's, he's the guy that tests the wine. If, the, if there's something in it that's gonna kill somebody, it's gonna kill Nehemiah first. So he's faithful, he's trusted, he's serving wine to the king. I'd never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. And Nehemiah, he tells us what he's feeling in the moment. He says, then I was terrified. Now, why does Nehemiah tell us that he was terrified? His boss was not a benevolent boss. Actually, King Artaxerxes was a wicked king. And so many instances, he would, he'd kill people. He's not the guy like, you look sad. He's like, here's a feelings wheel. Tell me how you feel today. Like, spot the top three emotions that describe how you're feeling, Nehemiah. So Nehemiah knows internally that his wearing his emotions in front of the king could result in his death. So he's terrified. He knows that King Artaxerxes has the power and even a history of killing people who've done less than what Nehemiah is doing in this moment. But he is so stricken with grief that it cannot help but impact his expression and how he's carrying himself. So I replied, long live the king. And notice this, like, this is Nehemiah saying, you're the best boss I've ever had my entire life. Ask me how I'm feeling, let me tell you, you're, a, you're wonderful. King, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. So Nehemiah is stricken with grief over this problem and he tells the king, the one who can make a difference. And the king asked, now in this moment, as the king's about to respond, there's, there's this anxiety that, Nehemiah undoubtedly felt, is the king gonna eliminate me at this point? But instead of eliminating Nehemiah, the king looks at Nehemiah and says, well, how can I help you? What do you, what do you need? How can, how can I help you? And right here in the middle of the passage, there's a phrase, Nehemiah tells us what he does in that moment. He says, with a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied. I want you in your notes to underline the phrase that says, with a prayer to the God of heaven of heaven. I love this verse. And one of the things I love about this verse, it's so practical that in the middle of his day, in the middle of his work, in the middle of the process of getting a dream from God and moving towards action is Nehemiah praying. It's a specific prayer to a God who specifically answers prayer. So he's asking God for help in this conversation with the king. With a prayer to the God of heaven, I prayed and then I spoke. And notice what he says next. If it pleases the king, if you're pleased with me, your servant, 
Send me to Judah to rebuild the wall where my ancestors are buried. Send me to the place where the problem exists. So the first step I wanna talk about is the step of prayer. If I'm going to move on God's dreams for my life, the first part of moving forward is to pray to ask God for God's help. God responds to our prayers. And in the passage, you see Nehemiah, in the middle of his dream, he is praying, asking God for help. God's dreams, I want you to write this down, God's dreams start, continue, and finish with prayer. God's dreams begin with prayer, they continue with prayer, and they finish with prayer. All throughout the process of getting vision and dream from God, a dream from God is this process of going before him specifically, asking him for help. His dreams start, continue, and finish with prayer. Sometimes in the starting, we're asking God for wisdom and discernment to know, is this a dream from you or the bad pizza I had last night? Sometimes we're, we're, we're coming before him trying to understand, is this something he's giving to me or is it something that's just a good idea that I'm making up? So what prayer does, number one, is it increases my faith. So as I pray and I ask God for his help, I see God move. When I see God move and I see his faithfulness, my faith grows. It increases my prayer. As I'm seeking him, I'm pursuing him, he increases my ability to believe what he's able to do. It increases my faith, but prayer also decreases my folly. And there's a lot of stupid ideas that I've had in my life. And when I put them through the filter of prayer, God will remind me, he'll show me, he'll help me curate and decide this is from God or not from God. In Nehemiah chapter two, you see this so clearly, Nehemiah's dream starts, it continues, and it finishes with prayer. Now watch this verse in six, chapter two, verse six, it says the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked very pragmatic questions. So this is like when you go into your boss and you want time off, and the question is, well how long will you be gone? That's all I need to know, you're going on vacation? How long, is it a month, two months, a year? What are you asking for, how long? And when will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, if it pleases the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates. So first he starts with time off, then he goes to the letter that he's going to need. He says, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. So this is a very practical request. Please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest. I don't want him to kill me. I want him to let me through. And also instruct him to give me the timber or the supplies that I'll need, the resources I need. I'll need to make beams for the gates of the temple, fortress for the city walls, and a house for myself. And notice in verse eight. So Nehemiah has been praying. He's been praying in chapter one. He was praying in chapter two. And in verse eight of chapter two, it says, and the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was upon me. So Nehemiah specifically asks God for help and God specifically responds to his prayers. So God gives specific answers to specific prayers. Sometimes we pray generic prayers and we get generic answers. We want specific answers but we get generic answers. So prayer, there's this practical journey of asking God for his help and he can intervene, he can do things that move the needle forward, he can open doors, he can close doors. Stacy and I have seen this over and over again in our journey. God originally began to put a dream inside of my heart to start a church when I was in high school. Later in high school, this dream began to form in my heart. 
And after Stacy and I got married at 21 years old, we moved to Texas. We went to cemetery for five years, I mean seminary for five years. <laughs> and while we were there, God was forming this dream. And in the process, we started a church on a local university's campus. And we knew that that church we started was, was really a training ground for the dream that he placed into our hearts. And when we were 26 years old, that dream became clear it became very specific that God was calling us to move to the San Francisco Bay Area to plant a church, and I knew there were a lot of components that had to come into play. And so I took out a note card, and I just practically wrote down some of the things that would have to happen. I wrote down uh, we would need a team, and so I wrote specific names of people that I would invite to move with us. I wrote down uh, a location that I believed that God wanted us to have. I wrote down a specific amount of money, and it was more money than I had ever heard of a church plant raising. And it would be required to plant a church in the San Francisco Bay Area. So I had these, I had these three prayer requests. I put them inside my Bible, and every day I would pull them out of my Bible and I would pray. And then there was a moment about a year later where I'm reading my Bible, I'd kind of forgotten about that list. And as I'm reading my Bible, that note card falls out, and I looked at the card, and I just immediately began to cry because I noticed God had specifically answered every one of those prayers that I was praying. And the point that I'm making is God stands ready and willing to do far more than we can think, ask, or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. Prayer is so important to the process of his dreams, God's dreams, becoming a reality in our lives. I wanna encourage you to get specific in what you're praying for. If you're praying for your marriage, get specific in what you're asking God to change, and not just your spouse. Ask him to change you too in the process. Get specific in the prayers that you're praying for your kids. Get specific in the prayers that you're asking God for with your business. And I, I find this to be so important. Oftentimes, I'm trying to move forward with God's dreams in my own power, but prayer unlocks something supernaturally. It unleashes with God's help the power of God. God responds. Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. There are things in your life that God is wanting to do, but he's waiting for you to ask. Let me say it one more time. There are things in your life that God is wanting to do, but he's waiting for you to ask. He's a good father. He's a good father that wants to bless his kids. So he's not transactional in the way that he works with us. He works upon relationship. So with a father and a son and a father and a daughter, he's a good father that responds to specific requests and he wants to fulfill his dream, his plan, his purpose for your life and he uses prayer. This is why the Pray 24-7 initiative is so important for us as a church that we launched this initiative that we wanna pray around the clock as a church. Over a thousand of you have already signed up for a slot to pray, and we're praying that we'll get to a point where they're literally around the clock, our church is praying for the accomplishment of the Great Commission all over the world. And when we pray as a church, and when we pray as individuals, we step into the zone that we're not doing it in our power, we're doing it with God's power, propelling it forward. So I cannot state this enough. I wonder if there's anybody in this service that believes that this is true for their life, that you're saying, I will pray specifically. What's that dream? What's that opportunity that God's given to you to pray? Now it's important to recognize a dream without a prayer can become a nightmare. This goes over to a nightmare because I'm doing it with my own power. So I wanna do it with God's power. 
a dream with God's power, a dream with prayer, you can see God do far more, like Pastor Rick said in that video, in a short period of time than you and I could accomplish in decades of pushing with our lives. So it starts with prayer, but then it moves from prayer to planning. So I pray and then I plan. So Nehemiah was a planner. It's very clear when you read the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah had a plan, a plan from God. Now a dream without a plan is a wish. Anybody ever said this to you before? I just hope I can lose some weight. Hope, I, hope my marriage gets better. Hope, hope this business starts. Hope, 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 hope. Hope's a really bad strategy, okay? It's good to have hope in Jesus and his power in the empty tomb, but hope in terms of moving forward with a dream is a really bad strategy. So I need prayer and planning. And this is central to who God is. God is a planner. In fact, if you look at God's creation and the beauty of everything that God made with a spoken word in six days, if you look at how God holds the whole universe together, how God is working things out according to his plans and purposes, he's a good God, but he's also a very effective, powerful, mighty God. And actually, way back at the beginning, when Adam and Eve were in a garden and they were given an instruction from, the, from God to not eat of the fruit and sin against God, before they sinned, God had a plan. God had a plan for the brokenness of the world, for the sin in our lives. God's plan was that he would come from heaven to earth and live among us, that he would live a perfect, sinless life, and he would be nailed to a cross for our brokenness, and he would be placed into a grave, and he would come forth victoriously, and he would send his spirit forth to stir in the hearts of humanity so that one day, every nation, tribe, and tongue is worshiping Jesus as the king. That's God's plan, and he's working out his plan so we can have confidence. As Ephesians 1, 9, Paul says this, God has now revealed to us his mysterious will, will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan, and this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we've received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Isn't it wonderful that the God of the universe is working out a plan on your behalf and central to that plan is your knowledge of his love for you. Central to that plan is relationship between us and God. So your whole life, you can look back and there is evidence of God's faithfulness and effectiveness to plan. The fact that you are listening to my voice right now is according to the plan and the purpose of God for your life. So God has been using and arranging circumstances to win you over with his woo, with his love for you, to call you to relationship with himself so you can approach your life, the dreams that God has given to you, to know that your good father, if you are in relationship with God, is working out on your behalf. He's moving, he's stirring, and he's a planner who invites you into his plan. He invites us into joining this great mission here on planet Earth to see his love be extended to the whole world. And he invites us into a planning process where he gives us the wisdom we need to carry out his plans. Proverbs 24, 27 says, do your planning and prepare your fields before building your house. 
So there's an order to how work gets accomplished. And most of the dreams in our life, when it's a problem we're solving or an opportunity that we're pursuing, most of the dreams, there is a plan that can move that dream forward far faster than we could do it without a good, wise plan. I'll give examples. Stacy and I, when we first got married, we were so po, we couldn't afford the R. And um, we had, that's a good joke. Pastor joke right there for you. That one was free. Take that one, give it to your kids. So, um, or if you don't, give it to your friends. Tell them your pastor told it. So we were so po, we couldn't afford the R. Now, um, we had a friend who said to us, there's this course at our church called Financial Peace. I know you can't afford it, you're so po, uh, but we will pay for it for you. And so they paid for it, and we went through it. Stacy and I, we, we'd just been married a couple years. She was pregnant with our first Cademan, and we sat through the class, and in a 12-week period of time, our lives were changed. They were changed because Dave Ramsey, in Financial Peace, laid out a plan for your personal finances. And that, that simple plan changed our lives. This is true with marriage. When we first got married, we were having communication issues. It was the only time in our entire marriage. But when we first got married, we were having communication. Ever since, it's been wonderful. But at that time, we needed help. And uh, we, we bought a book called Cracking the Communication Code. And we read it. And in the book, it talked about simple plans and principles for communication in marriage. It changed our marriage. This is true. Any area of your life that God is giving you vision for there are other people that have gone that path with their lives, and we can learn from them. We can sit down, sitting down with somebody who's been married for 50 years and has a great marriage when you're a newlywed, or sitting down with parents that have kids who are adults. And I always love how, and this is no knock on you if you're a young parent, but sometimes parents with like a two-year-old with a perfect temperament want to give parent advice to everybody else. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the parents that have godly kids in their 30s and they've got some scars to show from it and they, they have wisdom to offer that when we sit down in these conversations, we learn, we absorb. And I'm, all, I'm also not talking about a checklist of 978 things to do. I'm talking about the key ingredients. Some of you, you love your Microsoft Excel and Google Sheets and God bless you. Come work on the finance team at Saddleback. We'll, we'll, we'll take you. It'd be great, use those gifts there. But every, every dream and vision, there are major components, there are big buckets of planning. I like to look into the future and say, okay, what are the obstacles between here and where God wants me to be, and with wisdom begin to eliminate the obstacles to move forward. So he gives me a dream, and then he gives me a, a plan to move, I pray on it, and then I move forward with a plan, but there's a third component, and we're gonna finish on this, and it's the, the last step that we see with Nehemiah, it's to do something with the plan. So it goes, pray, plan, do. And every dream, eventually the rubber meets the road. Every dream, there's a moment where I have to make a decision. Every dream, there's a moment where I have to step out and say, am I going to be obedient to the thing that God's asked me to do. In Nehemiah 2, 18, Nehemiah tells them about how the gracious hand of God had been upon him and about his conversation with the king. And notice his words, it says, they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. And I want you to notice this wall. 
This wall is not going to build itself. As much as I pray, as much as I plan, if God is calling me, if God is calling you to rebuild the wall of your marriage, if God is calling you to rebuild the wall generationally with your children, if God is calling you to rebuild the walls of your purity sexually, if God is calling you to invest in the next generation with Gen Z, if God is calling you as a young adult to live in a way that's honorable before him, all of this requires action. There's a moment that I say I'm going to do the very thing that God has asked me to do. I'm not simply going to be a hearer of the word of God, I'm going to be a doer of the word of God. I'm gonna be the kind of person that hears the voice of God, prays and lets him lead me, gives me a plan, and then I act on the plan. So it's pray, plan, do. Pray, plan, do. Pray, plan, do, repeat. Now here's the interesting thing. If you take any of these out, it's a problem. If you take prayer out and you plan and you do, that's a problem because now I find myself doing in my own power. And I would venture to say this is the point at which striving comes in. Because some of us, we have a dream from God, but we're pushing, 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 and it's never coming to fruition. And is it possible that I'm doing, 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 and I'm striving, I'm doing it in my own power. So what prayer does is I'm still action oriented, but I'm saying, no God, I wanna do your plan, I wanna do it your way, I'm submitted before you, I'm committed to you, I'm praying. Now some of us, we take out the plan part, and we just go pray, do, and then we gotta do, 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 and we're, we got a lot of do, do, because we're doing do, do. That was a good one, that just came to me in the moment. None of the other, none of the other services got that one. But we, we do, do, and so we pray, and we do, and we have a whole lot of problems because we're not wise in our approach. So if I pray, and I do, now some of you just pray, 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 pray. That's wonderful, we're so grateful for you, but we need, we need some doing, some planning, and doing as well. Now the other problem, too, is that sometimes we get these out of order. So then I, I do, and then I'm like, oh man, this is a problem, I need to pray. And so it's not only that we need all three of them, but we need them in the right order. So it's pray, plan, do, repeat. Will you say it with me? Pray, plan, do, repeat. And for me personally, this is, this is, a, life, this is a life message. This is, for me, I have seen the faithfulness of God over and over and over again. And there's so much joy when God gives you a dream and you pray and you do it with him as your heavenly father and he gives you a strategy and you take steps and then when you take those steps, you see his faithfulness. Stacy was reminding me this morning uh, when we woke up, we were having a conversation about so many of God's just amazing moments in our lives when he came through for our family, for our church. And you know, she was saying, one of the things I hope doesn't happen for us is that some of our stories from our last season of life and ministry, I hope they don't get lost in the journey. And there was a moment for us when we were pastoring in the Bay Area, I had gone on a mini eight-week sabbatical. And I said to our team, I said, whatever you do, like don't call me when I'm on my sabbatical unless someone is dying or there's a building that becomes available. Those are the only two things. And about a week afterwards, our executive pastor called and said, well, Good news, nobody died, but we have a building that's available. 
and it's going to require a whole lot of work, and it's going to require us raising a whole lot of money to get into it. So we're working on the plan. We get back from sabbatical, and we sit down with our leaders, our top leaders in the church, and we had to raise about one-fourth of our church's budget to put a down payment on the building, which was just way beyond what I had ever seen happen. And I cast this vision, and I just said, hey, listen, Stacy and I, we, we've been wanting to buy this house. We've been saving up. I'm going to clear my savings account. I'll, that's what we're doing. They give a number. It gets weird when you give numbers. But I just like, we're, we're going to do this, and we want to ask you guys to sacrifice. And we, we just started watching our leaders over a period of time, and all the money came in, exactly what we needed, and we wrote a check to the bank. And at the time, I was teaching through the book of Nehemiah, and when I we went to the bank with the check, I realized that it was exactly 52 days, the same length of time that Nehemiah rebuilt the wall to when we handed the check to the bank. And it, w- it was, God didn't have to do it that way, but it was, it was like God just showing me, no, I, I, I gave you a dream, you trusted me, you obeyed me, and I was faithful. It's just such a beautiful process. The God of the universe stands waiting, ready to take his dreams and put them into action in our lives. And sometimes there's something God has already placed into your hands that you haven't acted on. I wanna leave you with this verse. Proverbs 12, 27 says, lazy people don't even cook the game they catch, but the diligent make use of everything they find. And the image is a guy that's got this animal, he's trapped, he's really hungry, and he's complaining, I'm, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, there's no food, but he's got an, he just cooked the thing, man. Just put it on, just put it on, just put it on the barbecue, cook it. Like, just put it on the grill and eat it. it Proverbs 26, 15, same thing. Lazy people take food, and don't take the food in their hand and lift it to their mouth. So there's food in their hand, but they won't even lift it to their mouth. Now, I know you're, you're not lazy. I know, I know that. But there is within all of us this kind of predisposition to avoid the hard step in our life to do the hard thing that God is asking us to do. And the question of what is the dream that God has placed inside of you that he wants you to act on today? What's the thing that God is asking you to do? And what I love about the church is a a church is a storehouse for dreams, for God's dreams. When you look at the last 43 years of Saddleback's history, So many dreams God has given to his people that have come to fruition. I think about what God has done with our next-gen ministry, and I think of tens of thousands of lives that have been changed through our next-gen ministry. I think about the dream and vision that God gave to Dave Page, who's now working in grief, and uh, that God gave to so many people to come alongside with those with mental health challenges, to walk through when somebody's in anxiety and worry and the, the grief ministry that was launched that's now ministering to hundreds of people who have lost family members. I think about all that God has done in helping our church be mobilized to go to the world. All of these dreams that have come to fruition and God's gonna give a new set of dreams, a new set of vision to our church. Last night at our Saturday night service, there was a young couple that came up to us and said, God deposited into our heart a dream to move to Tel Aviv at some point and start a Saddleback Tel Aviv. Just in the service, like God deposited. And the two spouses were writing it down 
on their connection card at the same time and showed each other. And there's so many of those kind of dreams that God wants to deposit. And one of the privileges this weekend, I have the privilege of having two of my high school friends here with me. If you want some stories, you can talk to them afterwards. Um, But one beautiful thing that happened when we were in high school, we had a student pastor that took us into a small group and discipled us, poured into our lives. Now, one of my friends is a pastor in Chicago, one is a pastor in Seattle, and it's because, because of the faithfulness of God and a community of people that was committed to the next generation. When we moved to Saddleback, one of the greatest gifts God gave to our family is a small group for our 16, 14, and nine-year-olds, that for all three of our kids, there's a small group, and I found out recently that last fall, as students were signing up for small groups, that there were more students who wanted to be in a small group than what we had leaders for. And I want you to think about that just for a moment. The church is a storehouse of dreams and vision. And every dream that God has given to you right now, God is gonna bring it to fruition, but we can do far more together as a church than we could ever do on our own. And here at Saddleback, there is a place for you to take that dream and see it move towards fruition. Some of you today can sign up and God's gonna stir in you to sign up to be a part on your connection card to say, I wanna join the next gen team. I wanna invest in the next generation. Some of you are gonna say, I wanna use my gifts to host a small group. Some of you are gonna say, I wanna use my gifts to be a part of the care team here at Saddleback. Others of you, maybe you wanna be a part of the prayer ministry that God is moving and building here. But to write that down today, to seal it, to say, God, you have my yes. My question I wanna give you is what is God already placed into your hands that he wants to use? That's what God said to Moses when Moses gets the dream for the people of Israel to bring them out of slavery. God said, what is it that's in your hands? And then he says to Moses, take it and lay it down. And there's something God has given to you. Today's the day to lay it down. Some of you, God gave you the ability to build businesses and to take resources and invest in the kingdom of God. Some of you, God has given you the ability to mentor younger people. Others of you, God's given you the ability to come alongside and counsel. Some, it's to teach. Others of you, it's to intercede and pray. There's so many spiritual gifts. There's so much that God has placed into Saddleback Church that he wants to use. God's vision for your life, God's vision for our lives is far greater than we could possibly think, ask, or imagine. And we want him to have our yes. We want him to have our surrender to say, God, we don't want what we can produce as humans. We don't want what we can do in our own power. We want a movement of God that changes the world for the glory of God. Not for the glory of Saddleback Church, not for the glory of any leader, but for the accomplishment of this mission that Jesus given, has given to us to get his name and his renown to the ends of the earth so that every nation, every tribe, and every tongue knows how great and wonderful he is. But there's a part that you play that requires a yes from you. Yes, God, I will respond. I want to invite you to bow your head with me as we pray. If you will, in this moment, just tell him, God, in a fresh way today, you've got my yes. You have my surrender. God, I thank you for this incredible group of people that you love so dearly. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us 
respond with a resounding yes. Thank you, Jesus, that in the Garden of Gethsemane, as you faced the cross, you said to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. And you went forth with that dream that had been in your heart, in the Father's heart for all eternity. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your power that's present, that you are working and carrying out this great vision to see the whole world know the hope of the gospel message and help us be men and women that say yes to do our part with your dream, God, with your global dream to see the nations know your love. God, we respond today in worship. We say yes. We, we respond with our decision. Whatever it is that you ask of us, God, we'll do, we'll do it. And whatever it is that you place in our hands, we'll lay it down so that you can use it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekend message from Saddleback Church. If you like this, please consider leaving a rating or review for this podcast. The Saddleback Church Weekend Message Podcast is a part of the Saddleback family of podcasts. Visit saddleback.com slash podcasts or search for Saddleback Church in your favorite podcasting app to see more great podcasts from Saddleback. For more weekend message resources, visit saddleback.com slash message resources.